Hey, what's up? Welcome back to Metal Edge Training Coach here with Chad Hermanson. Today, we're going to be talking to a psychiatrist. We're going to bring a psychiatrist on board today, Dr. Mark Allen. I just met Dr. Mark Allen a few weeks ago. Great dude, has some great insight. We're going to talk to what I would deem as one of the guys back when I played that I would be very reluctant to talk to, right? I don't know if I want to talk to a guy, you know, psychiatrist, what's wrong with, is there something wrong with me? Like, why do I need to go see this guy? So we're going to have a conversation with him, talk about, you know, what it's like to come to a psychiatrist as opposed to maybe a mental skills coach or a mental performance coach and what the differences are there. So enjoy this conversation with Dr. Mark Allen. All right, Dr. Mark Allen, how we doing, sir? Welcome to the Mental Edge Training Coach Podcast. What's going on? I, I'm, I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me on, Chad. Oh, it's my pleasure. We we met a few weeks ago, um, and so we were we were discussing a couple of things. We met through a mutual friend who was a former agent, uh, had an awesome conversation about kind of what you do, right, as being a, a psychiatrist. And so once we started talking about, hey, let, let me have you on the show, my initial thoughts were, okay, so I'm thinking I'm Chad Hermanson 20 years ago is 21 years old, probably could have really used somebody to talk to in regards to, kind of, I feel like I'm kind of going through some stuff. Um, I don't feel like I want to go to a coach or a manager. Um, basically, I want to go to someone that's qualified that I could just sit down and have a conversation with and tell us how you got into to being a psychiatrist and kind of where you're at right now with that. It sounds great. I, I, again, thanks so much for having me, Chad. My pleasure. Uh, it, it's it's a little bit like uh, pulling back uh, the, the curtain. Uh, it's not we're we're just people. Uh, I'm so psychiatrists by definition are physicians mm -hmm. who happen to go into med school, who then decide to specialize in in the brain and mental health to to kind of help the whole person. And psychiatrists are best used when they're thought of as kind of like consult liaison style people in a team setting. Like, mm -hmm. like one of the rotations we do in the hospital is actually to be sort of a, a consultant to an, an internal medicine team that's working with a patient. And then if there's a mental health concern that arises, we can help guide them on how to deal with it there. Um, how I got into this field is a long story. I will spare you. Uh, but ba basically, um, when I was um, in college, I was a resident assistant for freshmen, uh, where I was basically given a bunch of guys in a hall and told to sort of mentor them. But then along, along those lines, you had to take call. And overnight, very commonly, you would deal with mental health concerns. I thought it was super interesting. And I thought it was a really cool way to sort of give back. And then when I went to medical school, I actually thought I was going to go into orthopedics because I like sports. And I had a family member who had been a sports medicine doc years ago. Mm -hmm. um, but then I found out real fast that all I liked about orthopedics was that a lot of the guys talked sports all the time and wore boots. Otherwise, I thought surgery was super boring. Okay. And I, I was like, mm, maybe I should rethink this. So anyway, I uh, met my mentor in medical school, who is uh, his name is Dr. Thomas Matthews. He's on faculty at the University of Texas uh, Health Science Center, San Antonio. Anyway, he had this exact same personality as me. He told me, come under my wing and, and follow what I do. So to get to my, we're kind of where I am now. I had to go to medical school. I had to do a residency in general psychiatry, which takes three or four years, depending on if you fast track. 
I did, did two years of uh, fellowship in child and adolescent psychiatry uh, up in New York City at uh, New York Presbyterian. Um, and then after that, it was game time to actually like work with patients outside of a training setting. Um, I met my wife in Texas and we decided to go have a little bit of fun for a year after training while I worked, uh, but we moved to New Zealand and that was super cool. Uh, down there, aside from the obvious hiking and nature-filled activities that we got to do, I was able to work in another style of healthcare system, which was eye-opening to me. Mm. And I actually got some extra training down there in, in eating disorder work, which ended up becoming sort of my subspecialty. So flash forward to returning to the United States, um, I came back and actually took a job in uh, the state of Maine, which shout out to my Mainers. I love it. <laughs> we got a lot of Mainers listening to this, yeah. I'm sure. Yeah. It's even nice in the wintertime, <laughs> although I, I feel for the recent negative 50 degree temperatures. Um, so it worked up there for a little bit and then uh, eventually came out to Colorado where I'm talking to you now here in Denver uh, to take an, an eating disorder job. And now I've opened a private practice. So boom, that's sort of the yeah. way I hear. But as far yeah. as the sports world, let me give you a little bit of background on the difference between the different specialties. So yeah, please. Um, for years, sports medicine has the, the inlet to it has been to either go into primary care sports medicine as a family medicine doctor. So just think of your the old school general practitioner who would work with your family, all ages, all comers, you got it. They just happen to also have a, a one of the ways you could go into sports medicine was through that or orthopedics. Uh, yeah. Those are kind of the two big ones. They kind of always didn't really focus on mental health. Maybe they did at the bedside. And, and a lot of these people were really good with working with their patients, but it never was on the forefront. Sports psychology has been around since the 50s. And they're well entrenched in the academic community. And in fact, they've developed even their own subspecialties. There's now something called a certified mental performance consultant or CMPC that you can get. <laughs> as a right. sports psychologist. Those aren't physicians that they certainly work within the sports medicine space and they do, they have a very important role. And in fact, because they've been around for forever, they're good at their job. Mm -hmm. but, but what they don't necessarily have in their, in their toolboxes that is having gone to medical school and, and seeing things from the doctor's perspective, working with patients and all the different body systems and how that really interrelates. Yes. So where I'm going with this is, yeah, a sports psychiatrist is someone who kind of looks at uh, a biopsychosocial model. That's our, our gobbledygook way of saying, <laughs> looking at the whole person right? and looking at an athlete and how to help them um, from head to toe and checking out those invisible injuries that can occur on the playing field because you can't see when someone's being bothered by anxiety, depression, or whatever. So that's, that's what I do. Yeah, no, that's, that's awesome. And and we were talking a little bit about, we were in a way planning out what we'd want to discuss today. And obviously we can go in so many different directions. Yeah. Um, but again, like, so back to when you, so when you work with an athlete, right. And an athlete might come to you and I'm, I'm assuming what, what is there a typical age that you work with? Is it teens? Like, where are you at with that right now? That's a, it's a, it's a good way to put it. So there's, Two different, uh, probably, ways in which you can get a referral. Uh, there's there's the working directly in partnership with a team or an organization. Right. Say the team psychiatrist for X organization or your consultant. Or 
you're getting referrals from like a primary care sports medicine clinic or a sports psychologist in the community to see a patient who needs a mental health evaluation or workup. Um, for, for me, it's it's the latter. I'm not directly attached to, to an organization, uh, but I certainly have my mentor, Dr. David McDuff. He works with the Baltimore Orioles, formerly with the Baltimore Ravens. And he kind of was the, the uh, I hate to say this, sorry, David, but you're kind of the grandfather uh, of sports psychiatry. Everybody respects him and he's been doing it since the mid nineties. Basically, when, I mean, a little bit about him and, and how that all comes into fold mm -hmm. since he's really blazed a path. So when the Cleveland Browns moved to Baltimore, he was the addiction psychiatrist attached to the University of Maryland. And he basically got into this role. He was sort of had, was connected with uh, with the, the management at the time. And he had been in the military and it was basically transitioning his military model of a team psychiatrist and did it for sports because there's a lot of blend or, or I mean, you can imagine crossover between the military and the way sports organizations function um from that he actually wrote a really good book uh called sports psychiatry strategies for life balance and peak performance giving him a little bit of a shout out and he's he and a few others including dr claudia reardon created this organization called the international society for sports psychiatry which i'm a member it's basically super niche but uh, they had this mentorship program. So he he has sort of really perfected the team consultant model. Mm -hmm. And then there are others in the community like me who are actually see just athletes of all ages. So you ask me what ages I see. I'm a child and adolescent psychiatrist, but I also can work with adults. So that yeah. my wheelhouse and, and the, the most common age of patients is going to be some, a kid who's probably between 14 to 25 so you have a, a someone who's about to take a jump in the level mm -hmm. of, of sports. So you can clear clearly they have some talent. They're wanting to go to maybe an elite level, either to college or to make the next jump. And there's something that's that's holding them back. And then the question is, where where's the referral coming from? Is it the parent? Is it right. the kid? Right. Is it the coach? Because the the family system in an athlete, especially kids, is bigger than just mom, dad kid, sibling, dog, or, or whatever. It's the coach, the pitching coach, the hitting coach, the, 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 the trainer. It just starts to expand in this, this system. Um, you actually have to learn how to meander. Um, so anyway, does that help you a little bit? Yeah. You know, and, and that's kind of thing, right. Where you have, and I was kind of thinking in terms too, of like the players that I work with almost a hundred percent, it's, it's coming from a parent that reaches out, um, I, I've actually had coaches, right? They're like, hey, I got a guy that I think you might need to kind of work with here. Um, so the parents are kind of recognizing or the coaches recognizing something might be just a little bit off. Um, person might need a little bit of help in, in that regard. And let's just say like a teenager, like high school baseball player, right? Yeah. What What would you find is the, are there main things that that parents come to you, hey, my my kid is struggling with A, B, and C. What what do you see there? So, again, it's you have to really tease out who's wanting the consult. Is it the is it the parent who's over identified with the kid, who, or mm. who can see the potential in the kid that's just not coming out on the field? Because the reason you come see me is not necessarily because you're you might think that it's a performance issue on the field that there's just going to be some gimmick that I can teach you or like a sports psychologist could teach you. But 
you, you have to peel back the layers of the onion and you'll mm -hmm. figure out sort of what may be holding them back. Um, but yeah, the most common thing is that is the parent would call and we'd come in and, and I would talk to kid first. If they're the, the, the old adage is 13 and up, you talk to the kid first, separate from family, then talk to the family alone, and then you bring them in together. Mm -hmm. Below 12, you would meet with the parents first to have a better understanding. But the uh, if it's, I like it the best when the kid has it in their mind, they have the insight of maybe, okay, I have, I got the yips. Mm -hmm. I know I have anxiety. I know it's been, it's, it, I have this block, but you know, and then we, we go, we go down the rabbit hole a little bit and realize that maybe it's been more of a generalized anxiety picture this whole time that is just now somehow manifesting on the field in a, a, bit, a bit of panic and it's sure. taking, you know, they're, they're getting that analysis paralysis where they're, they're stuck and they can't make the throw from second to first, like Knobloch or whatever. Um, and yeah, so we, we can kind of work through that. So that, so it's funny you bring that up. So that was me, right? So I developed that in, <clears throat> it's kind of funny. I, in a way, I felt like I've always had a portion of it, right? I was always a kid that always could th throw hard, you know, had some velocity to my throws and, um, move from the outfield to shortstop. And now I got to be really accurate. So kind of a little bit in high school. And then it started to get really bad, you know, in the minor leagues when I'm, 17, 18, 19, 20, kind of in my early minor league career, all the way up really through AAA when I played the infield. And what what is it do you think? So when a player comes to you, has the yips, right? What are they what are they telling you? How can you treat that? So so it, it's it's tough. The mostly because there's there's no overnight fix to the yips other yeah. than to to get them to gradually understand that it's that internal dialogue that they're telling them that the brain doesn't work as fast. If you're actually thinking mm -hmm. it's, it's slower than the motion. If you're now focusing on actually releasing the ball and throwing it to first base, and you're thinking about how to do it as you're doing it, it, it doesn't work as fast. So it's, it's you're, you have to learn how to quiet the mind. Right. Now, mind you, there's lots and lots of different books that discuss different tactics like that. Mm -hmm. And we, we can kind of work on, on focusing on a lot of breathing techniques but notice, you know, I'm a psychiatrist. I have not talked about medication and there's not, right. I'm not just going to throw a pill at the situation. Mm -hmm. so, that, so part of the thing that really, I think, prevents and or scares people about, you know, coming to the shrink yeah. is, is that they don't quite understand that where we actually think about the whole person and that really the movement and psychiatry over the last 10 years or so is not necessarily a way from medication, but really adding some of the tools that we used to have that we had given up to the psychologists and decided to marry the pharmacology industry, which is awful. So we're, we're, we're thinking now again, again, not, not for the first time, but again about mm -hmm. healthy nutrition and sleep and basically lifestyle uh, maneuvers that are people sometimes forget to do because we're there in the hustle bustle of their day. Well, yeah, and I so the overall performance of taking care of yourself, right? And and I and I can't even imagine where I am so grateful and thankful that I didn't have a cell phone growing up, like at the high school level, right? And because we we actually kind of try to implement when when I have four four kids and they're two were in college, two were ones in junior high at eighth grade, ones in high school, and so the the ones that aren't adults yet, right? We're like, okay, well, 10 o'clock, it's bedtime. 
right? And and ten o'clock, you, you're bringing your phone into our room. You know, you're we have a little thing for the wall. And, and the whole point of is that like you need sleep, right? Sleep is so undervalued and underrated, and and in, and when you know you don't get sleep, right? And you're like, it's like I know for myself, I need I need eight hours. That's my that's my lucky number for me. I I, I need. Eight hours, but my eight-month-old won't let me. Yeah, you're, you're in different phase, right? So good luck with that. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. You get you get thrown around a little bit when you're, but when you're kind of more on that natural pattern, right? Of right. Um, so that is essentially a tool, right? That yeah, sleep is you got to recover. You got to get your. It helps with your mental health and your mind, and getting into those routines, right? Um, but yeah, you, you brought up the point of just the name and the the title psychiatrist. So I think that's what would back in the late 90s, early 2000s would kind of in a way scare people because um, we, we we would think like, well, what's wrong with me? You know, like, why am I, you know, anxiety wasn't really talked about as much back then. I think we knew that was there. Right. But like you were saying, would you say most of the diagnosis of like, Hey, let's throw a pill at it. Would a lot of it is based on the anxiety portion of it? Well, so a lot of the, the, the gravity towards the, the concept of medication and why, why that became more in vogue back in the day, it was looking for that overnight fix. And it's, we're, we're in very much, we're live in the United States, but this is also worldwide. The United States people tend to be kind of have a short attention span and want things now. Mm-hmm. And they, they seem to think that, you know, that the medication would be a quicker route. But the fact is, is that m- almost all studies related to management of anxiety and, and actually getting it treated find that therapy plus medication actually leads to the quickest but in best results. But therapy alone works about the same as medication does. Um, okay. And then if you actually look at exercise exercise, if done correctly, can also have roughly the same form. So if you do everything and you address the lifestyle modifications and boom, um, did I answer the question? I was kind of, yeah. So just basically like I, I, and I can only speak for myself and kind of what I think I might've went through is just high anxiety, you know, regarding performing and without really being diagnosed with anything, I, would guess if I went to talk to somebody be like, dude, yeah, you're just, you're super anxious about, and it was really about aspects of the game. Right. For me, it was like fielding and throwing. Right. But not necessarily hitting. So it's, it's kind of interesting. So anxiety in my, in my opinion tends to be sort of overlooked by a lot of different folks because they see mood symptoms erupt and not, maybe not realize that it's, someone who's been taking it and taking it and taking it like a balloon, yeah. letting air out, boom, explosion, <clears throat> reactive anger. Okay. Um, I think a bet, maybe, maybe something that would be helpful to discuss would be like the onset of different things that may arise over yeah. time. Yeah. So like well, before puberty, the m- most common things that can erupt are developmental issues, anxiety, and ADHD. Those three things. Those are the most common stuff that we'd see in the clinic. Then you get the rush of hormones at around puberty and those you start to see mood disorders erupt. And then you have kind of the adolescent behaviors of like limit testing and, and uh, being a little bit more independent. And then you can see some substance use dabbling in later, later in the teen years. And then finally, as far as the onset of things, mm-hmm. you can see some psychotic illnesses erupt in the late teens or early twenties or major mood disorders, like a bipolar illness. 
Okay. That's sort of the order that we'd see the onset, but that we, at any age, you can see anything, especially after puberty. Uh, so, which is why a lot of times anxiety can get overlooked. In sport, athletes are humans. And so the prevalence of, of mental health conditions in athletes are roughly similar, except in a few key areas. ADHD is overrepresented in athletes. Um, if, in fact, if you look at, uh, which we'll get into in a second, but if you look at therapeutic use exemption rates, and, you know, and uh, like in Major League Baseball, it's around 8%, which tracks with what you typically see ADHD prevalence rate in, in the athletic population. Okay. Uh, but you, can see, you see more eating disorders in athletes, um, and you, you tend to see um, fewer, uh, which sport being protective for suicide and also being protective for substance use, except in a few, uh, a few different sports that are sports specific. Otherwise, you see roughly the same mood disorder, anxiety, all the prevalence rates about the same in athletes. Okay. Uh, so, so, so it's what would come to my clinic. I would might I might see a little bit more of a, a couple of things I mentioned with my eating disorder background. That definitely is something that, that comes up because if you think about it, a lot of sports are either weight based, uh, like rowing, for example. I'm uh, trying to cut weight for boxing or, or wrestling, yep. uh, and aesthetic sports <clears throat> that really um, gravitate towards leanness, like gymnastics or, or dance those kinds of things okay yeah sure sure yeah you know that's that's and you mentioned um we, we talked about this earlier um tues therapeutic use exemption so now correct me if i'm wrong so i was thinking major league baseball for example a player that has adhd they get an exemption to utilize and and take that some medicine if you will right so how, how does that work? Is it, you said a small percentage is typically used, utilizes in that? Yeah, right. So so about 8%, 8% of baseball yeah. players are, are, are granted a, a therapeutic use exemption. Um, but so the, the concept of a therapeutic use exemption goes back to um, the, the needing to find balance of clean sport level playing field versus the needs of the athlete and for the athlete to actually be able to participate in sport and the, and their correct frame of health. So um, if there's something that they actually need to take to be okay, um, and this isn't just like ADHD here. I mean, you, like, for example, there are some blood pressure medications, insulin even, mm -hmm. that require TUEs that and a person who does not have a medical illness that requires those meds could be used for performance enhancement. And so like, yeah. for example, shooting, like riflery, <clears throat> those guys uh, and, and, and women tend to, you know, they're trying to actually pull the trigger in between heartbeats. Mm -hmm. so it would actually be to their advantage if they had a medication that slowed down their heart rate, they'd have a little bit more time to, to actually squeeze the trigger. And so, and it wouldn't be, it wouldn't actually jostle the, the, okay. what they're trying to do, right. and so, which you wouldn't think that a beta blocker like metoprolol would be banned, but yep, it is. <laughs> okay. So, so, so anyway, if someone comes in my office, especially like an, an elite athlete, one of the first questions we need or we need to like ask ourselves is, all right, one, are we looking at a medication? Two, is that medication on the banned list? Let's go check the USADA or WADA website. USADA is the United States Anti-Doping Association. WADA is the World Anti-Doping Association. On there, they actually have the list that's updated every January 1st. Okay. From that, we would then just determine, okay, do we need to apply for it? And so let's talk about Major League Baseball. You, we used to play. Um, that actually is uh, even more layered. We would check the list. 
we would gather collateral information from different resources. Let's take ADHD, for example. Okay. Um, you would want to, you would, I would do a clinical interview with a patient. I would get information from uh, the family and the school if it's a kid, but for, for a major league baseball player, they're going to be at school. Uh, we're, but we're going to, we're going to get this packet of information together and we're going to apply for a TUE. Major League Baseball has a second level where then they'll do some more testing or require more testing to be done. And if, at that point, if that committee chooses that they get, then they'll give the person a TUE and they can take a medication. In some instances, a TUE can be granted retroactively where they've been taking a med, realize, oops, I probably need to like tell people about this so that I don't get banned or have a violation. Mm -hmm. um, but, and that can be, that can occur especially like emergent situations um, or when they were maybe in a pre a lower level of competition where it was fine, but no, once they made that jump, they're the rules restrictor. So anyway, it's, it's pretty dense, but I will say that um, coming to someone like me, we can actually help walk you through that process uh, and, and teams, especially at higher level organizations will have someone that will do it. Gotcha. Okay. So now, you know, kind of fast forwarding, when I was thinking about the past in regards to maybe utilizing a psychiatrist or doctor, sports performance coach, something like that, we're obviously seeing a huge jump in the mental health arena in regards to teams taking advantage of hiring psychologists, hiring psychiatrists. What What's the difference between, say, a psychiatrist and a, say, a mental health coach that's, that's you know, you mentioned the Orioles, like, so the mental health coach for the Orioles, right, compared to a psychiatrist. What's the difference there? So the, the and, and I don't want to, because I don't work directly with the team, I can't give you sure. such specific information except what from what my mentor has shared with me and, and other people I've talked to. But, but most organizations will have um, a, a, psycholo a psychologist, so a therapist, mm -hmm. but, a, but a, a PhD level therapist who sort of is the, is the team leader to a degree who will have met with um, the players to, to assess who might be struggling or who might need, need be able to do some work. Then they'll have mental performance coaches or coordinators that will actually do a lot of the work on the front lines that akin to like an athletic trainer. Yeah. And they'll do some of those skill building things, um, which I don't want to speak for you, but I would imagine in your role, it's it, we're all a part of a team here mm -hmm. of, of the, the medical professionals. And then the psychiatrist would be the uh, kind of, these days, still in a consultant role, soon to be an informalized role with lots of organizations as the sports medicine affiliated mental health person. So if, if someone is struggling with depression, anxiety, it has been recognized by maybe some preseason screening tools, which we can get into, um, then they can see them to do an evaluation and get them help. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And that's kind of why I figure too. And I, just to give you an example, as I we were talking earlier how when I got my certification through the life coach school, that, that was a big, it was a portion of the training was understanding what your, you know, quote, scope of work is like, who do I work with? You know, and cause there's, there are life coaches that work with certain aspects, say, like you said, eating disorders, right. There might be a coaching program for that. So, but also understanding, okay, are we dealing with somebody that is completely depressed? Are they not functional at all? Right. So kind of the not functional person, that's when we refer out right to a person like yourself and say, OK, I have a guy that you probably need to talk to. This is not 
this is not what I deal with, right? I, I'm I'm helping you kind of move forward where they're gonna evaluate you, diagnose you, um, you know, that sort of thing. Does that sound about right? Yeah, absolutely. So I can do a couple of things here. I can help with the diagnosis to really flesh out sort of what's going on with mm -hmm. the player. Um, if the acuity is high enough and it's not just a um, an adjustment reaction to some stressor in their life and they actually now have a, a biologically driven depressed mood or an anxiety uh, a disorder that's that's not just fleeting and it, that's it's really stuck or they have like, mm -hmm. like OCD or panic, then I can actually help create a treatment plan that involves some of the, these folks to do because it's not ignoring or separate from the work that the coach like yourself or a therapist is doing with the player to help them just with, with day to day and with their performance on the field. It's in addition to that, you know, I, if I can adequately treat their depression, lo and behold, their energy improves, their, their, their sleep quality improves, their motivation to actually do the work improves, and then their performance on the field gets better, you know, but, but their whole life <laughs> is improving. Um, yeah. So. They're, they're starting to function. They're starting to show up a little yeah. bit differently. Right. And their, their, their mindset and the way they feel about everything is starting to align with, you know, the results they want. Absolutely. What um, we we talked a little bit about, you know, spring training's coming up, right. I remember going into spring training, you would get a, a physical examination, like a, do a doctor would come in, you have your trainer's, uh, doing EKGs, right? They're doing kind of flexibility. You know, I, I remember my last year with the Angels. Um, this was even years after I had my labrum surgery on my shoulder. Uh, the late Dr. Uh, Lewis Yoakum, I believe that's Yoakum, Dr. Yoakum. Um, he did an examination on my shoulder and is kind of doing the my flexibility. And, and he kind of looked at me like, dude, how are you even throwing with <laughs> this nonsense? And, uh, <laughs> But we then we so there's the physical aspect of it, right? And now we're talking about is it's definitely being talked more about the mental health side. What do you, are you seeing any movement in baseball from like you mentioned your Orioles person? Like any you have your health exam. Is there any type of mental exam? Yeah, yeah. So the it's just funny. I, mean, I remember being in school and you know you'd have the preseason physical. It, it wasn't a medical exam, but even the, the way they had referred to it was a physical. The, the mental part was just ignored. Uh, yes. So thank you for bringing this up. So in 2019, uh, the International Olympic Committee decided that it was time to sort of wake up to the mental health aspect to sport. And they created a mental health work group. Within that mental health work group, one of those people was actually Dave McDuff, uh, along with Dr. Claudia Reardon and a few others, a guy, a guy named Vincent Gudebarge, who uh, had, had been a professional soccer player. Um, and then Brian Hainline, who's the chief medical officer of the uh, NCAA. Anyway, they decided to put together this group to create a, um, to actually do something, not versus just talk and like, yeah. yes, mental health is important. They created a, uh, a screening tool for athletes and for trainers to use called the Sports Mental Health Assessment Tool, the SHMAT. There had been, the, they created the SHMAT 1 this spring. Apparently they're going back to Switzerland and they're going to update it and do the SMAT 2, the SMAT 2.0. Okay. Um, I know that's good. I just had the conversation the other day. What it does is it's something that can actually be just given at spring training to all the players as a, as a screening tool to make sure that things are okay. And then there's um, basically evidence-based tools for them. 
dudes can sit on the bench and fill it out uh, or around uh, around a table at lunch. And then they can all actually do it, not together, but next to each other and, and filling it out independently. Depending so they're answering on, questions on yes. a, like a test in a way. Yes, it's, it's just it's a <laughs> test that there's no you know passing grade. Okay. Uh, so, so once they fill out the form, it goes back to the trainer and then back to the mental health professional associated with the team. They look at the results. And if it does require a referral, they've identified it. You mm -hmm. know, the deal is you, you, as I said before, mental health disorders are invisible. And so unless you actually ask the questions, you're not going to be able to, to find them. And so once the athlete's been identified, you can get them help at the beginning of the season and then monitor the progress over the course of the season. The Orioles actually have a um, mental training log that um, I'm not sure if it's all the players, but certainly McDuff talks about how he'll do it preseason, in season and postseason and have like short answer questions where these guys are talking about their experience playing and off the field and then how that, that it becomes fodder to talk about therapy. Interesting. You know, the, the first thing that came to my mind when you said that, like, they're say you're in the dugout taking this a test or just filling out the answers. What if they're lying? Right. That these guys are making millions of dollars, for example. Right. They're, they're on contracts. And I'm just thinking like a player right now. Right. And I or I'm trying to make a team. Right. I, I'm a Miley player. I play AAA or I'm a free agent that's come over and all these questions start coming up. You know, and I don't have no idea what these questions look like, but I would have to imagine there's some probably they're probably better about it now because it's more open. But I would have to assume that there's some there's some questions that are not being answered truthfully. So you bring up a good point. And the concept of confidentiality is important. Yeah. And also within a sports organization, it can get it a little bit hairy when an athlete may not be really willing to share just how they're doing with, because they're concerned that it's going to get up to upper level management and whether people say it or not, it may or may not affect uh, their future with the team. If someone is not psychologically minded or whatever. Right. So in these instances, one, a good mental health professional that's attached to a team should be able to pick up what, that if the answers aren't matching what they're seeing. Okay. All right. But if, if the player really doesn't feel comfortable seeing someone that's attached to the organization, that's okay. They can talk to their agent and they can get a referral to a mental health professional in the community like me. <laughs> and, and so we can do it that way, but still be above board and it's private and the athlete can be taken care of still. Yeah. And it's, it's not shared <clears throat> yeah. that way. Um, I think things are changing though. I mean, the, the organizations are waking up to the fact that one, they need to kind of take care of their athletes and that the performance on the field is better if their whole person's addressed. Um, and so we're in that, we're, we're moving in the right direction. We're, getting there. we're yeah, not and, there yet. And I, I would have to this conversation. I'm so glad we're able to talk about this. Yeah. And I, I would have to imagine um, again, being in a player's shoes, that yeah i'm gonna go answer these questions and, and i might be super open i guess depending on how you are in that situation um but at the same time that so in my mind right if i had to do something over again again thinking like late 90s early 2000s i don't know if i would have went to my team i probably would have went through my agent that has connections right uh, in a more private setting even today like we you know hitters pitchers they have their private coaches sure right whether they're a hitting coach um 
Heck, we we just saw Russell Wilson with the Broncos, right? Uh, uh, Sean Payton comes in and says, hey, dude, all your coaches are gone. Like, they're not going to be around us, around a team, around a facility. And I'm sure it's like, you want to do that, do that on your own time type thing. Um, I mean, even Tom Brady had the same thing with the Pats. Yes, yes. The CB12 method, yeah. Yeah, so it's like you get it and you understand it. I would understand that as heck. When I played with Sammy Sosa in Chicago for just a couple months, you know, he had just a guy that was always with him. He would throw BP. He would like dress in uniform. And I remember coming over. I'm like, what? What is happening here? <laughs> you know. So it it really felt like special treatment. Um, and things I think were way looser back then in the day where they would allow people to come in the clubhouse. I don't think they allow that much anymore at the major league level, um, especially with the incident that happened with the angels, you know, like who knows what these guys are bringing in, you know, drug dealers basically of <laughs> some sort. Yeah. I, luckily we're, we're, we're not in that business. Uh, we're, yes. we're in the business yes. of getting players. Well, uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, it is, it's a, it's an, it's, it's, it's the, the issue with especially professional sport uh, is that, it seems to still be, you know, not stigmatized. If you if you hurt you hurt your shoulder, you talk about your labrum, and you need to go see a medical doc. It's easy. You get a referral. There's no yeah. questions. No one cares. You, know, you people care about your well being and that you're doing well. But you know the funny thing is the recovery from from a labrum surgery, but uh, really really any orthopedic surgery. The, the one of the biggest prognostic factors is mental wellness and, and how you're doing with recovery from injury. Yeah, uh, there's a study done like. 14 or 15 years ago about hip surgery and, and, uh, uh, military, um, and, and how that actually was true. So, um, yeah. it, all, it all kind of comes back to that. You can't ignore the, the, the mental side of it. Um, you know, as far, as far as other, other aspects of athletes that, that might be unique as, as far as the athlete experience and meaning to kind of keep that in mind would be, you know, the athletic identity. And when someone's career ends before they're ready, and now how they had become been an athlete the entire time. And then that transition to just like falling off a cliff, like, okay, what next? So yep. you have to like prepare for that next phase while you're still in it. Um, or, you know, in, in recovery from an injury so that you're not that really being social and being staying connected um, is, is the biggest way to, to do it. So if you're struggling with a mental health issue and you're not talking about it with anybody, then it's not going to get better. <laughs> yeah. No, that's the hardest part, right? As let's say if we just stick with say the the major league player, these are kind of alpha males, if you will. You know, right. we're the toughest of the toughest. Um, we'll grind it out in the minor leagues, all those things. But uh, but there's also a fatherly figure or a softer side, you know, to that person. Um, and then trying to go be vulnerable with somebody else and just share. You know, not not everybody likes that. Right? There's a there's an uncomfort level that's like, but then once you do, right, and you kind of you get it out, and you just like, oh, there's like a big weight off your shoulders, right? It's like you're actually able to talk about it, and okay, this is my issue, this is my problem. Now what, right? Well, so, so, <laughs> Help me, sir. Yeah, right? but I think that's why the best therapists or, or, or coaches especially for like a major leaguer or someone who's been there who automatically has an end, like for like you, you, you will have such a fabulous career because you had already done it 
And then they, you imagine they'll already be able to trust you that like, oh yeah, well you were there too. So maybe I can just like, I can talk to him. This is fine. He's not like my direct manager on the bench that, you know, is directing on whether or not I can play on the field. So, and then they'll be able to then share how they're feeling and then get the correct referral and get addressed. Right. Um, same with like the, the best EAP or employee assistant programs, folks that are attached to organizations tend to have been either former players or had worked or had, had, had played in baseball. Um, you know, someone like me, my, my career ended earlier than I expected, but I, I stayed connected from a fan perspective, but then I also went to medical school and then that's why psychiatrists specifically, like you, you, you couldn't have been able to have done that, uh, unless you were some just absolute, uh, you know, awesome athlete who was able to then go back to medical school after having been in, in, in the big leagues. And there are, there are a lot of stories of actually players who are doing that Julius Thomas right now, the old. Uh, tight end for uh, uh, the, the Seahawks and the Broncos won a couple Super Bowls with okay. Peyton, and he's now nearly a psychologist, and he, I mean he's going to have a, a fabulous career doing that and have an, an immediate end with these high performing athletes. Right. Yeah. No. It's. I just think it's cool that it's um, like I mean the word is human, right? We're all humans. Yeah. Like we're all trying to just perform in life, right? Perform on the field, perform with our family, right? Perform as a professional. Um, and stuff comes up, right? Limiting beliefs, our doubts in ourselves, are we even good enough, right? Imposter syndrome, all that stuff. So it's all there. Um, and I just think it's really cool that people are starting to be open about it and just discussing like, yeah, I'm actually, I'm not perfect, right? I have some, I have some things I need to work through, um, but I'm, but I'm always trying to progress as well, right? And, and I'm, and I'm open to having other people help me. Yeah, and, and that's why it's so powerful when someone who's who's in the, the media limelight actually shares their story. Stories are more powerful. Uh, like you when I mean, I think the tides really shifted when Simone Biles came yeah. forward during yeah. the Olympics. And then Kevin Love, the, the, the NBA basketball players, talked about his uh, issues. And then Michael Phelps has talked about his. And so you have these big athletes who've talked about what's been going on inside that, hey, you too can get help. It, it's you get the stories the stigma will break psychiatry and, and mental health will be become just part of sports medicine and it won't be as nearly as much of a deal and then with sports being so macho and alpha male as you put it at least for the, you know male sports if we can hit it there it will have this fabulous trickle down effect on the rest of society and then mental health issues will just be more easily addressed and not so closeted essentially yeah like yeah you mentioned guys like kevin love michael phelps it's almost like you see a story like you're scrolling through social media and then all of a sudden a story pops up they're like you know kevin love is working with a doctor or working on his mental health and it's like well like why are people sh you know i don't know if they're shocked by it but it's just like yeah like he's he's a human right <laughs> he's he's got all these things that are probably going on in, internally it's kind of how we're wired to yeah, if things kind of get in our way, we we need some help to get through it a little bit. The the guy had a panic attack in front of twenty thousand people. Mm -hmm. I think it was in twenty sixteen or whatever. I think it was when he was on the Cavs, um, and it was at that point that he realized he needed to get help, and he's been very open about it. And, and he was at, there was a great podcast episode on Blindsided by the Players Tribune where he actually talks about that kind of stuff. And anyway, it's the, the more conversations that are had, right? The more we can actually pick at this. Right. So something just popped into my head, too, about that same story. So being here in Las Vegas, I'm sure you've heard of the Drew Robinson story. Yeah. 
right? And so um, a guy just, he tried to take his life, right? And, yeah. and, and was very close to it, lived, lost his eye. Um, what would you see like, and I, I don't know the full story, but I, I know that I think there's some major depression going on, high anxiety, probably among many other things too. Um, why do you think a guy like him couldn't go talk to somebody before it got to that point? So the, the, um, the problem with depression, now mind you, please understand as a yeah. psychologist, please teach I us on I, this. I, yeah. I, I can't <laughs> diagnose from afar. I've never right. met them, but I can kind of talk about the, the situation generally. Right. Depression is isolating. It's like a, it's a black box. It makes you feel like you're alone, that you can't talk or that no one else would understand because you're the only person going through it. And so it mm-hmm. basically just puts blinders on and, and makes your environment very small. So in that setting, when you feel like you're alone, it, you're a rat, it's a, it's an irrational belief. So why would you be able to step, be able to step out of that to then tell someone that you're struggling. So mm-hmm. for someone like him who, who was having suicidal ideation that actually progressed, um, you, you know, I, I, you can't really say why he couldn't help, right. but when you are getting warning signs and when people are around you, so let's talk about depression and like, what yeah, those please. Are. so, <clears throat> um, there's a, there's a great acronym, SIG E caps. So sleep disturbance, loss of interest, guilt or unfounded guilt, loss of energy, loss of concentration, loss of appetite or increased appetite, depending on the cell depression, psychomotor slowing, which is basically just feeling listless and restless, and then potentially suicidal ideation if it were to progress that far. So you have all of these like biological symptoms where your body's telling you you're depressed. Mm-hmm. When, when you're, when you have, you know, no energy, can't get out of bed, don't care about the, the typical things you would you like anymore. People, the people who love you, assuming you're still socially connected with family or other people, they should be able to recognize that you're not looking like yourself. Sure. And that's when they really do need to step in to help you find someone. Uh, within the sports atmosphere, it, the, on, on the field, it's like when the, there's a, a dramatic loss of performance that's unexplainable. Um, when there's maybe overtraining that's been done, you're starting to get be more prone to injury. Or you're just not able to do things like you were. That's when the staff needs to like pull you aside and talk to you like, are you doing okay? Not right. what's happening, just how are you? Right. And then, then just that ask, can, right? So it's, it's just... Mm-hmm. It's just talking about it. So common misconception is that if you ask someone if they're suicidal, you're going to make them suicidal. And that is just false. You have to actually broach the subject. It'll be a sense of relief that they can actually share. Yeah. You're not going to plant the thought. I can assure you that it is already there um, or, or could be potentially already there when you're that, that, that low. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, and it's obviously very prevalent. Like I bet you can't really talk to an adult that doesn't know somebody that's either attempted or tried, um, or it's just gone through depression in general. Right. And, and I would have to think that we've all in some aspect in some form have gone through a little bit of it in some way, you know, like I know women could suffer through depression after pregnancy, you know, postpartum stuff like that. And, um, and so just being able to, you know, a friend of mine is a postpartum coach, you know, and it just does very well with that. Um, so after, yeah, it's after, just, yeah. I was just going to say, after my wife had her baby, one of the best things the hospital did was just, it was just part of the process, created a support group for all the women that were delivering 
over mm -hmm. a period of time and then they, they stuck together. Can I tell you that some of her best friends now are the, those that she had kind of gone through the trenches with right after delivering and they, they go on walks with the kids and whatnot. I mean, it's like sure. it's that sense of community. Yeah. What, what you mentioned just, it, it, it helps with that. Um, the idea that everybody goes through stressful life events and disorders that the mental health in, in and of itself is, is a five in five idea that mm -hmm. versus one in five. So, You'll hear the stat: one in five people have, you know, have, will have a mental health disorder over the course of their lifetime. Okay, maybe clinically significant, just diagnosed by a professional. But I can assure you that everyone, five in five, will deal with some kind of stressful event over the course of their life. And so you don't want to other them, make make the people who have been diagnosed as feeling like they're different because yeah. they're no different. They're all humans. And so, assuming you think about it more broadly. We can be in this together. We're like we're all on the same planet. Let's let's be a little bit more of a sense of community here and help each other. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, you're right. Yeah, you you get in a little community or group. And um, an example, like I've I had a conversation with one of the it's a former minor leaguer I'm I'm talking to and working with, and he was we're, we've only been working. It's been we're on three week three right of a six week program, and yeah, and we're like he's like man, this is interesting because you know you go through a playing career. And, and you play with your teammates and, you know, you play your game, you get there in the afternoon, you do your workouts, you play your game and you go home. So you're there for however many hours throughout the day. And you do that all year. Some of these teammates you have, you know, you say you're coming up in the minor leagues, they might follow you each step. So you could be playing together for years and yet you don't know anything about them. Like you, you don't go to, to lunch or dinner. Like they're not in your little group or whatever. You know, there's definitely groups in the Meyer leagues as you come up and your buddy or best friend you hang out with. Um, and you're like, man, I don't know anything about that guy. And he just brought up the point. He's like, man, I've been talking to you for three weeks, about an hour per call. And he's like, I feel like we're good friends now, <laughs> you know, and and just like, but just the fact of like talking to somebody and being, you know, whether it's a private conversation, but um and being just okay with it and just letting out whatever's happening. Um, and then actually doing the work, you know, working on the problem, having a little bit of a solution for it and, um, and just doing some thought work through it and, and checking in with your emotion, right. With what you're feeling about it. It's, it's kind of fascinating. I mean, you, you've gone through the trenches together. You're, you're a cohort, yeah. you know, as far as like the, the concept of team, team dynamics, um, uh, a lot of times when you'll say, say at the professional level, mind you, this isn't really a psychiatry based discussion, but like you, you, you make a coach switch mid season yeah. and they have their own philosophy and it might take some of the, and then they bring in some of their own talent. And then you, like, it's a brand new year. Um, there might actually be a drop in performance as everybody's getting used to the new dynamics of all the personalities. Whereas like you have the old core that really had worked well. There's like a countless examples of, you know, like a, a high school team that had worked together for a long time, that had done really well, and then they wanted to make a change of management, thinking that they were it was going to put them over the edge, and then the team ends up falling off a cliff. Yeah. Um, it, it, so, anyway, it's a, just yet another layer of that. Not only do we have our own internal issues we're going through, that that there is a social connectedness and interrelatedness that, that become a, a factor, especially within a team. Yeah, no doubt. Well, Doc, this has been outstanding. Um, we talked about in, is we'll kind of start wrapping this up in regards yeah, sure. to 
for when someone needs to come and visit or see a person like you, they actually need to get a referral, correct? Is it, how does that process work? Yeah, I mean, to, to see someone like me, you can self-refer, you can just go to my website, peaksportspsychiatry.com, but but someone right. like a sports psychiatrist or really a mental health professional in general, you can self-refer, you can go through your primary care doc, you can go through a psychologist or a therapist who can ha might have connections within the community. Um, for a, just even a, a kid in school, you could ask uh, like the vice principal or counselor to help uh, find someone. There's always a way. Um, in in this, in, if you were to go online, you can also get some mental health resources. There's also a crisis line, like the new um, uh, mental health crisis line is at nine eight eight, I believe, where you can go to the emergency room. Like there's, there are always ways. Yeah. As far as as an outpatient, um, I think I think the easiest way, especially with from a sports team, would mm -hmm. be to go to the primary care sports medicine doc, uh, or to use your tr the athletic trainer, who's probably the the person you're closest with to right. ask for help and then it'll just cascade okay yeah so it's and that's that's a big portion of why we started to kind of hook up too and um, i personally want to have a referral source of people that i know and trust where um, if it is out of my scope of work to what i'm doing as a as a coach and to be like yeah okay and that's kind of part of my assessment or consultation if you will of Okay, where are you at? Where, where where you need to be? And are we talking about someone that's functional here where I can, okay, I can work with you or it's the complete opposite, not functional. Maybe that depression, there's stuff going on that's out of my scope of work that I have a a team that I can I can lead these people to. So I think that's it's great. Course. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I, I think what you do is extremely valuable. I mean, it's like you, you do, do goal setting and I'm like there's there's a, there's a clear as you said like a six six week like manualized model you are going to work through and then you see success. <laughs> mm -hmm. so. Yeah, no, it's fun. Well, Doc, I appreciate coming on. It's been it's been awesome getting to know you and and what you do and and when you get out to Vegas, we'll definitely hook up and yeah. if you ever come out here. So anything we missed, anything that you wanted to cover that I maybe didn't get to. You know, I think we we really hit a lot of the highlights. I mean, the, the biggest thing is the, the the five and five mentality is really important just to know that everybody's going through stress at some point in their life, that we don't mm -hmm. want other people that, you know, all oh, they're the ones that have mental health issues. We're going to keep it over here. Everybody's in this together. Um, getting getting help in, is not hard. You just have to know where to ask. It should be not so hard. So just go go to your athletic trainer or your um, your team doc. Um, to find out me, so I have my, my website's peaksportspsychiatry.com, where you can email me at peaksportspsychiatry at gmail. Um, okay. Usually very responsive, I can, I can help you. And if you're not located in one of the states I'm licensed in, I certainly can help as far as figuring out a, uh, who to talk to that you can get help that way. Perfect. Okay. Well, very good. I, I really appreciate you taking some time here to, to come on and, and educate us on on your role and kind of what that looks like. I think that's very valuable. So best of luck to you and your practice and Thank we you. will see you next time. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm super excited. Pitchers and catchers just report and spring training <laughs> happening. baseball's about to occur. That's right. That's right. All right, doc, take care of yourself. We'll talk to you later. Thanks, Jen. Thanks. All right. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Dr. Mark Allen. I certainly got educated on some of the things he went through. Like we we hear the term psych, psychiatrist, right? So 
I know when I was playing back then, I was like, man, I don't want to see a psychiatrist. Like, what's wrong with me? I don't have, do I have something wrong with me? So I'd always question that. So I think he hopefully really alleviated some of those thoughts and ideas that if you ever had something like that, where I, I don't want to go talk to somebody about my particular problem or issue, you should, right? You should get out there. You should get help, um, whether it's just a life coach like myself, um, somebody that can work with you that's functional. Right. The, you're, you're, if you're more on the I have some depressing issues, I'm depressed, my anxiety is through the roof. There's different things like you might have to get diagnosed for. Right. That's the kind of guy you would go talk to. Uh, so make sure you do that. I do want to inform you that I have my six week mental edge life coaching program. It's been going fantastic. I've been coaching some former minor league players and one big leaguer uh, through this program. And they're actually shocked by really the simplicity of this model and tool that I'm taking them through and how they're starting to apply it in their life, right? You learn something new, at least for me, it's got to be pretty simple. It's got to be applicable and something I can do every day to start getting kind of my thoughts and my mind, my feeling and emotion in the right spot of how I want to show up every day. So if you want to come work with me one-on-one, Make sure you go visit my website, mentaledgetrainingcoach.com, or you can even email me, chat at mentaledge.coach, and if you want to inquire and apply for that. So thanks for listening again. Thanks, Dr. Mark Allen, for coming on, and we'll see you guys in the next episode. Take care.